Welcome to the Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy, the free podcast for motivated teachers and school leaders who want to inspire their students and school community in literacy learning. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast player, and for more amazing literacy resources, check out the show notes provided with every episode. Hi, I'm Sharon, and I'm the host of a Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy. In every Toolkit episode, we bring you specific resources, tools, strategies, tips, techniques to help you in your job as a teacher of literacy. Firstly, we acknowledge and pay our respects to the Ghana people, the traditional custodians whose ancestral lands we gather on. We acknowledge the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of the Ghana people to country, and we respect and value their past, present and ongoing connection to the land and cultural beliefs. Hi everyone. Welcome everyone to our podcast. In every episode we bring you resources, tools, strategies, tips and techniques to help you in your job as a teacher of literacy. It's all about helping you develop as a professional where you make the choices that affect you in your classroom for the betterment of your students. We hope to open some doors for you so you can make some really good choices. Um, Sharon, I'd like to um, welcome newcomers to our Facebook group. Yes, yes. Lots of newcomers. I love it. Every day we've got people yeah. requesting to join and I particularly love reading all the reasons why people like to join the group. So, you know, really hope that we can, through the community, build just what people need for answering lots of those needs that they have, you know, from the group. And we hope our podcasts are kind of persuading you to join that Facebook group <laughs> because persuasion is our topic today. Um, we've got um, a wonderful guest here today who's going to help us with um, how – what well, we're calling it the art of persuasion, aren't we, Sharon? Yes. So we, we kind of – people uh, – teachers will recognise, especially in Australia, <laughs> will recognise why we're making persuasion um, a feature because – Persuasive writing is one of the types of writing that I hear teachers talk about the most. Teaching, oh, I've got to, you know, teach persuasive writing because it's it, between persuasive and narrative. They're the two types of writing that will appear on the NAPLAN. So it's forefront of people's minds about persuasive writing. But the, the struggle uh, that teachers have, I think, and the is having a true purpose in the task that the children are doing so that children really feel that they are doing something worthwhile? Yes. Yeah, it needs to have purpose. And that's why rather than calling it persuasive writing, we've called this the art of persuasion because we're really wanting to think what is persuasion really for? So we're broadening out the idea of persuasion. It's not just about persuasive writing. It's about Lots persuading. of ways of persuade, yes. persuading. And our guest today is a special guest who's going to help us with that. So, <laughs> Sharon, would you like to introduce Eloise? Oh, welcome, Eloise. Thanks for having me. Oh, <laughs> this is such a thrill for us. And it will be for our listeners. Um, so, Eloise Hall is, well, I'm going to introduce her with three titles before I introduce what Eloise brings to the world. <laughs> Um, so Eloise is one of the well, the inspiring advertiser. Sorry, the inspiring South Australian um, through our 
advertiser through our local paper. Well, local sounds small. Our <laughs> city paper, our state's paper. So here in South Australia, that's the award of the Inspiring South Australian. Um, Woman of the Year Rising Star. And she is one of the 40 under 40 from the business in the business world because Eloise and her equally young partner, <laughs> um, Izzy Marshall, began in mm, Eloise. 2016? 2016 when you were both finishing year 12 um, at high school, um, have formed a not-for-profit organisation, business, social enterprise. I'm getting the good nod now from (laughs) Eloise. Um, And it's called Taboo. And Taboo is... Well, let Eloise explain it, I think. Well, yes, we can let Eloise (laughs) explain it. She will explain it far better than I. Um, (laughs) No, do that and then I'll... Um, we'll talk about this link to persuasion in a moment. <laughs> of course. Uh, Taboo is a social enterprise, like you said very well, Sharon. Thank you. We're a registered <laughs> company that sells certified organic cotton pads and tampons in Australia. And all of the profit that the company generates is distributed into charities that relieve women and girls from their experience in period poverty. So all of our business workings and our business profits are dedicated to eradicating period poverty in a global and national Australian context. So there we have such an incredible vision and mission being driven by two early 20-year-olds now. So (laughs) in in the fifth year and we're going to... um, be in conversation with um, Eloise about how Taboo really went from, um, well, probably not even its idea in the first place as part of, we'll get Eloise to talk about the journey, um, but in five years how they've really used persuasion for for social change and I think for us in schools, in fact, I used Eloise and Izzy as examples to a group of Year 6, 7 teachers um, just the other day because they are a clear, they give a clear picture of what it means when there is, when you want to persuade for change. And I think sometimes when we are considering persuasive writing in schools, we're sometimes thinking of it at a much, um, hmm, do I say simpler level or a much more basic level than that? We might... Or a a level that's got potential to change into um, stronger levels. (laughs) Broader levels. That's a nice way to put it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well done. Yeah. Um, But the idea that, um, I suppose the big question that as teachers we can be thinking about is what is persuasion really for? And when we Mm. think what is persuasion for, then we can think that it isn't just about persuading for 
our own needs for something, but that we can persuade to, you know, for bigger things, for change, for... Yeah. Ex- external to our own needs, yeah. we can yeah. go further. Yes. Mm. So going I back a step now, uh, Eloise, where did the idea come from? Where did it all, where did it all start? Well, when I was thinking about the art of persuasion, it was quite clear that it started by someone else persuading us that it was a good st- structure of business. Um, so it was in the end of 2015 that Izzy and I went to a leadership conference and Daniel Flynn, the founder of the co-founder of Thank You Water, was presenting. And that was the first opportunity the social enterprise model was presented to us. He was talking about how many people around the world will um, be very heavily affected by the lack of access to clean water they have and then told us how much money we spent on bottled water. And that was what what birthed the first model of thank you was the sale of bottled water to fund projects that provided clean water for people in a global context. So his persuasive method of telling us how much power our consumer habits had on the world and really shifting what, well, especially which brand of water we would then buy. Um, But beyond that, what other opportunities there was to expand this model um, really brought us to think what other opportunities do we have in the market and what are some of the social issues that we are quite passionate about. So we were thinking about what we buy in our everyday life and we thought, my goodness, we spend so much money on pads and tampons every month mm-hmm. and what do other people do when they can't afford this product because it's not cheap and there are a lot of families who struggle and that's when we realised that um, in Australia, period poverty was um, a problem. So there are a lot of families and kids that um, didn't have access to product and that was affecting their lives, whether that be school or work. And then we also learnt that um, beyond Australian borders, especially in countries where periods are so intensely taboo, a lot of girls were missing out on school or dropping out of school as soon as they get their first period. And we were heartbroken at the at the fact that women and girls and people's regular biology was stopping them from having an education and then researched how much that impacts the poverty cycle in general. This issue wasn't just something that is a a home-based discussion. It was affecting the, the poverty cycles harm and how that has repercussions on whole cities and, and communities. So we thought, well, we've already got a solution. Let's go sell our own product in Australia (laughs) and do something about it. So you mentioned right there that that was something that you then said about researching. Mm. So that was, of course, as we know, to be able to persuade, we need to have um, the information to back up all the facts Mm -hmm. and um, stories. And so, so what did that research process then look like? What did, how did you start that? What did you, what did you do? What did you focus on? How did you find out these other countries uh, had that problem? I mean, what, what, who alerted you to that or, you know? Yeah, well, I guess um, our experience as very um, privileged girls in that all of our needs were met. We hadn't experienced period poverty ourselves. We did have to um, l- 
sit back and think about other people's experience quite significantly. A lot of the research initially was um, more, I guess, reports and statistics that were presented by other big bodies like the UN um, and who – but then beyond that we thought we need to know what people's lived experiences like. Are they making it up? Are they exasperating what the situation's like? So we started speaking to – more specifically, refugees from um, who had moved to Australia and their experiences, young people in the countries they fled from, and their experiences were very much mirrored in what the reports were suggesting. Mm. And it was totally heartbreaking, but the more people we spoke to, the more support we had on the initiative because people were coming out of the woodwork saying, yes, this is a problem, this is how my life was affected and this is how my mum's life was affected, this is how my sister's life has been affected um, by this issue. So that was definitely um, affirming in one way or another, but equally is heartbreaking, but it definitely drove our passion further. Then we decided to go to uh, Kenya and India and in 2018 to really learn about what menstrual health care looked like in, in the flesh, but also discover what initiatives existed to combat period poverty and whether they were being done in sustainable ways and how they looked, who they worked with, where the product was from. And that was that lived, I guess, experience of being shown these different schools and communities and uh, students was very, very real, obviously. We were there and we were listening to these stories. These kids were asking us questions like, you know, what do I do when I'm in pain and um, how does the pad work? Really... Um, big questions that we were expecting but uh, you, you can only prepare yourself so much for those conversations, mm. yeah. So it was more confronting than you did expect? Yeah, especially this one girl I remember, um, unfortunately sexual assault is quite prevalent in a lot of these communities and um, so the walk to school from home is already quite threatening and this one girl asked when I walk home from school, I get really bad pains and I have to stop, but I can't stop for too long because it's dangerous. What do I do? Mm. Wow. <laughs> how do we have a response mm. for that? It was quite, mm. yeah. Yes. And how, how long were you there for? We were travelling for over th- just over three weeks mm. in both countries, yeah. Yep. So... The research process has been an ongoing piece. Yes. Um, It'll never stop. It won't stop, will it? No. And interesting for, um, you know, that confirmation that this is, this is global. This Mm. isn't just a, this isn't just an India or Kenya. No. This is local Mm. as well as global. It exists everywhere, just in different Ways. Yes, yes, and with different um, statistics because I know, you know, some of the statistics that you have on your website, which is a great place to see lots of different elements of the art of persuasion because just by putting those statistics up there, um, like... Or have we got um, – so in Sierra Leone, girls miss around 50 school days every year mm. due to their period. Mm. 50 school days, that's a quarter, yep. quarter of school days. 
Um, in India, 70% of all reproductive diseases are caused by poor menstrual hygiene. Mm. 70%. So attainable. But. Yes. Mm. So the research, without a doubt, would have just driven you more for the the need. Mm. So then you change. got to so then so, so then you got taboo organised. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What? Did, how did you go about that? What was the well? Uh, and were there others around the world doing anything like this? Or the social enterprise model is and was still very fresh. So mm. very few companies had made the pledge to not ever dividend any profits to their shareholders and give all of that profit to a social purpose. Mm. So we were um, probably the next. Uh, to mirror thank yous, 100% profit model. So it was a new territory and a lot of business professionals told us that it was dumb and it would never work out. And then a lot of charities were quite um, excited by the fact that there was another form of revenue other than just asking people for money. And it was a very bizarre start knowing that we wanted to sell a very high-quality product that people would want to purchase and in that sense, we needed to register as a company so that we could make that, you know, make the most impact um, with our profit so we could grow to the extent that we wanted. But we had this uh, mission, which is the underpinning reason we started the company was to, of this social and um, health driven mission. We wanted to eradicate period poverty. So in that sense, we should register as a charity. But obviously that wasn't going to work uh, if we're selling a product to make the right. impact. Yeah. Yeah. So it was this new area and there's still to this day no structure that really supports social enterprises. So that's something that I am very quick to advocate for is it as a, is mm. a rethink of how we can shift our structures to support social enterprises better. But really because we were also very young, we had no experience ourselves, we relied quite heavily on a lot of mentors who then would affirm that what we were doing was a good thing and then show us some other people in their spheres that could help us with the next thing, whether that be registering the company or entering competitions. And it was really the competitions that ignited our excitement because it was the first time a whole bunch of people that were disconnected from our lives went, yeah, I want to support that and would either give us advice, money, time and awards, really. The the yeah. first um, big competition we won was Startup Weekend Adelaide and we were in a room of 100 professionals who had at least 30 years more experience than we did and uh, we were the top 10 idea to go through the weekend's process of um, – working on the idea and then we presented on Sunday night and we won. I was still underage. I was 17 (laughs) (laughs) and we won thanks to a team of five middle-aged men as well, joining our team, (laughs) listening to us, telling them what to do. And that was definitely the most encouraging. uh, So so was that a a talk you gave about it? So that presentation, it was very persuasive. Yes. Talk us through a little bit of that. What? So, yeah, the weekend it was designed in that Friday afternoon. You rock up and you have 60 seconds and no more to present your idea. Mm. And we started off by setting out the narrative of what your life would look like if you were a 12-year-old girl in Sierra Leone. Fabulous. Wow. And we told them that she was going to use kitchen sponges and mattress rippings to soak up her blood and then she wouldn't be able to go to school and 
Mm, that'd be pretty confronting. Very confronting, especially mm. to a bunch of people who would never I've have these conversations yes. with anyone yeah. else. No. Yeah. We even had one guy um, join our team after our presentation and he said, last weekend I cracked a joke at a wedding about um, you should never trust anything that bleeds for five days and doesn't die. And then you did your oh. presentation and now I'm heartbroken so I'm going to give you all of my time and oh. I want I want to yeah. be on your team. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So the story, building the narrative mm. is um, – and, and that was the main part of the speech, the 30, 60 seconds? Yeah, mm. so we, we spent uh, probably half – probably 20, 25 seconds uh, explaining what the reality of period poverty looked like and very much put it on the audience's mind of, of that was their experience. We framed yeah. it in that that was their experience. Mm-hmm. And then the second half of the presentation was this is what we're going to do about it and this is why it's going to work. This is why you need to be on our team and mm-hmm. pull this over the line. And it was so effective. We had everyone wanting to join our team. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. That in sixty seconds you could uh, persuade so strongly. Mm. Um, you know, but, but it's um, those elements, isn't it, of being mm. putting somebody in that situation, right in it, yeah, making them feel that they are living mm. that very thing that mm. you are talking about. Um, that there is that there is emotion and feeling related to that. That yeah. it isn't. Um, Emotive language would have definitely come into. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. As well, I think people could relate to the to the situation regardless of who they were. As much as menstruation is considered something that only women experience, it's not because we all are surrounded by women. We have brothers, mothers, sorry, sisters, <laughs> mothers, um, people who menstruate. So it's something that people are attached to. Yes. And the fact that that could be their daughter or that could be their wife yeah. is enough to make everyone in the room connected connected yes. yeah yeah so um so then the response was big huge yeah we had a very passionate team of people who were ready to win and they were convinced enough through our presentation that we were the best leaders for it. So they listened to us and we told them what to do. They came up with ideas and we shut some down and we loved others. Uh, and it was a really great experience of leadership, really, for mm. pe- to people mm. that we wouldn't have uh, had the experience of leading before. Yes. Uh, and a brilliant weekend of respect of everyone's individual skills because we had some web developers, some graphic designers, people that had really brilliant skills to contribute. Mm. Um, it was fantastic to respect everyone's niche and give them the reins to, to do their best. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And a combination of everyone's skills was the most fantastic presentation at the end. And, and on Sunday night was our final pitch. So the idea was that you had to pitch uh, to a panel of judges to communicate that you were the team that did the most impact over the weekend. So you had to outline how many customers you had um, gained throughout the weekend, how many, mm. um, yeah, how far your website was developed, all these things. Yes. So it was a big method of, of um, each person got up and said, I did this and I did this and this is why this business is going to work and we went through a whole team of people and the judges at the end said we love everything in the presentation. It was so well articulated and you definitely ticked a lot of the boxes. 
but we had a, a slogan that said bleeding love and they said we hate your slogan it's never gonna work and we went oh gosh okay oh. and I think it, it was because it was a little confronting um because people aren't used to the word blood on company slogans yes so mm. in that aspect we thought well that's the point of it if you're uncomfortable then live with it and work it out like <laughs> <laughs> But um, so is it still your slogan? Well, I was, and it's kind of on the art of persuasion. Mm. We realise that the slogan doesn't actually say much. Oh yeah. The idea is that when you're bleeding, you can love other people with by buying our product and blah, blah, blah. but it but that's not very quickly communicated. So yeah, yeah. working with a team of of um, people in marketing and advertising, we realise that it's probably not the most effective slogan. Um, and we've since changed it to a powerful period. Ah. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that, and that does communicate something um, instantly. Mm, mm. Yes. And everyone, most people can relate to a period. So when yeah. you call their experience powerful, yeah. they do want to contribute, which yes. is great. Yes. And, and it's an upbeat, um, powerful, um, positive message. Mm. Mm. Yeah, bleeding isn't often associated with anything positive. Mm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So that weekend with the the team, there's one thing in there that I just um, wanted to draw out too is the power of all of those people from different Mm. sectors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, that there's the the web designer, there's the – the marketer, there's everybody's coming. So the art of persuasion, you know, covers all of these areas. You know, we're all we're all persuading, no matter what business we're in, not what matter yeah. what domain we're in. Yeah, um, persuasion is part of that, and it, of course that translates and plays out in different ways depending on your platform. Mm. So that you know whether it's the you know whether it's words or design or mm. all of those things have play a big part mm. in how effective the persuasion yeah and even when we were choosing our team we had quite a lot of people wanting to join but we couldn't pick everyone yeah. so we had people persuading us that they were a good fit mm. and oh the guy who made that joke and was quite remorseful he was someone that we instantly wanted on the team because we knew that he had passion behind the work he would contribute rather than just skill and I think that people with passion often pull greater results because it's a they they're doing it for a reason that's beyond what they would generally be used to or or they're pulling all of that um passion into work that they want to contribute for for a reason beyond themselves. Mm. And we thought, okay, he's going to be a great asset. And likewise, likewise, other team members were skillful, but perhaps we wanted some more diversity and experience or perhaps we wanted, um, yeah, energy beyond just their skill level or their experience. So their art of persuasion was necessary to communicate their investment beyond what, their experiences yes because we 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 obviously weren't there for experience (laughs) we were there because of a passionate purpose that we had yeah Yeah. i love that passion message and um that's so relevant to teaching that um passion is just a part of teaching this you know that just makes your teaching thrive yes when you have passion for the teaching passion for 
being with the kids and mm. all those things about schooling that yes. uh, yeah. you're passionate about. And I guess that's where we talk about it just as a little aside, you know, about the the seven timeless T's. We talk about true tasks. Yes. And yep. true tasks should be ones that allow for passion. Yep. yep. Creativity and passion to come through. Mm. Not mm. it's just a the yep. task to get done. But yep. what what do I bring to this? What what where's my voice in this? Mm. Where am I um contributing to mm. this. Mm. And I also just wanted to reference too, which we talk about quite a bit, is um, Allington and Gabriel's Every Day, Every Child Every Day, mm-hmm. um, where there's two parts in there that I think are really um, relevant. relevant to this and, you know, for us to keep in mind is about they say every child every day should write about something personally meaningful and that... Every child every day should talk with peers mm-hmm. about reading and writing and about their ideas and thoughts. So this, what Eloise is talking about, just this one weekend, I think just brings forward a whole lot of of that, you know, mm. writing or thinking about something meaningful. And even for the gentleman who had acknowledged that a week earlier he'd made very inappropriate mm. um, that that his that how your presentation had made him think differently mm. really highlights the importance of why we should be able to write about things that are meaningful mm. to us and the power and the impact mm. that that has actually he he changed his not only his thinking but his feeling. Mm. Yes, mm. yes. Mm. And I think part of that is because we did the critical thinking for him. He'd never questioned why that was inappropriate. He just thought it was funny. Yes. Mm. And then we did the critical thinking and presented why this issue needed to be addressed in a completely different lens than we're used to. That's mm. when it mm. flipped because oh, the amount of perspectives that have been um, given to me through books or other people's um, memoirs is that does really shift your thinking, and mm-hmm. I think kids now are really good at questioning why. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. kids are notorious for it. They yeah. ask why, yes. you know, Naturally. a billion times a day. Right. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> but yeah. even for bigger picture things like our rubbish systems, for example, why does the mm-hmm. garbage man come every day? You know, we we could really dwell on these whys because kids care about it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be asking the question. Yeah. And mm. I think what was uh, prominent in the example I gave about the guy who made the joke, he'd never had to think why it was inappropriate because it didn't affect his his realm of life. Oh. And it was obvious that no one had really made any um, suggestion that it was wrong. So, yeah, why would he say why? But we can say why for other people and kids can do the same, I think. Yes. I love how you've just framed that too, saying, and I think that's what we want for our students is enabling them to do the critical thinking. Mm. Because mm. that's what we're, that's that's how we can persuade and to to acknowledge that it's that kind of thinking that gets us to be more powerful in our both our understanding and in our feeling mm-hmm. and in the way that we can talk about that with others mm. 
like that's the oh, that's a, that's absolute gold for me. Yeah, that, that yeah. because connection. sometimes uh, persuasive writing tasks in schools um, are about you know questions about what the kids are. Um, Thinking or yes. Oh, well, we loved we loved your example in our pre-chat, Eloise. Mm. You know about <laughs> do we prefer crunchy or smooth peanut, peanut butter? butter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like what's the critical thinking to do about that? Yeah, not One much. Uses more peanuts. Who yeah. knows? Like kids <laughs> don't know the ingredients. <laughs> mm. So I liked your um, in our pre-chat, um, Eloise. You were talking about uh, kids um, persuading about uh, external. Things that are external of their own needs. Mm. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, well, I think it's really how taboo was born because my all of my needs were met, and I, it's a right that every kid's needs are met in terms of shelter and food and and love and all the rest. So, because my needs were met by the time it was um, to the pointy end of my schooling, it was more of a question of what needs of other people can I help meet because I'm complete in a, in a I guess, animalistic way of all my needs are met. I don't need to do anything else with my life past school to make sure that I'm a complete, safe being. Mm. I had the opportunity to think past myself in what would I just enjoy in my days and what are um, the issues of the world that I live in that could be addressed with the privilege that I can offer in that I'm an educated person and I have an opportunity with my years to contribute my time and skill and energy and passion into other people's success and life and opportunity. And it's nothing, you know, ridiculous and crazy. I think everyone has that innate sense of wanting to support other people and I was fortunate enough to, like I said, yeah, have a great education, a whole education and opportunities to take advantage of to work in that. And I think kids, if they are in a position where they feel their needs are met and they are comfortable, more often than not, I feel like they are thinking about everyone else. Like Mm. they've got obviously concerns of their own and they're all valid, but do they really always surround their recess options or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uniform. I, I just don't Cause what think kids s- are that shallow almost. Yes, Because so, yeah. tr- we're trying to get that passion into it, aren't we, the, mm. that they really want to persuade. Yeah. Um, so, Sharon, you had and an example. And the deeper thinking of that. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, the example I think you're um, mm. talking about was I thought this was – like this is um, – this is an outside of ourselves piece again. Mm. And this was with a year four, five class teacher that I work with. They were reading um, the book Grace, which is the story of um, a young convict girl coming to Australia in the, mm, not sure what year, probably doesn't matter. Um, anyway, the, the children, the class were so... Um, you know, so this little girl, you know, steals some food and then continues to steal food until, of course, we know what that meant, transportation to Australia. And the story is really about, you know, having the second chance. But the students so felt her dilemma mm. and so felt the injustice as children a couple of years older than she would have been and they were so in their shoes 
that quite spontaneously they wanted to write to the powers that be, even though this is a fictional story, to argue why she shouldn't be transported. Mm. Why Now, so here is... So you're right about, yes, we can talk about should we, should we not have uniforms? Should we have smooth or crunchy peanut butter? But our but children are actually really, really wanting to do the critical thinking mm. about bigger issues. Mm. Mm. And right there, the eight-year-old, like, this is a true situation. There were eight-year-olds mm. transported. Mm. So what does that feel like? What does that... So having the voice and having the the passion to fight mm. for that. So I loved that the teacher just said, oh, my goodness, it was like I just didn't even bring up that we would we would do this. Mm. It's they had a reason. Mm. Just innately they had the reason and she said and then they started writing these letters of persuasion. Which brings us to um, your – we can connect Read Aloud with this, Sharon, where um, yeah. through Read Aloud we can experience um, these issues yes. um, and then persuasive writing can come from that. Yeah. So, yeah. of course, that's what literature will do. That brings us, as does informational text, it brings us information that we can act on, that we can actually think about, back to that critical thinking, to think, yeah, what does this mean? What does this and what can I do about that? Well, I had a group of Year 7s that got really hot under the collar with um, in Canada. The, this was years ago. The baby seals were being killed um, and they just could not believe that that was happening and they just wanted to do something about that. So, mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. was about so, trying to persuade others to stop that happening. Yes. Mm. And um, once again, actually having talked about taboo with the year some year six seven teachers that I was working with the year six one year six seven class has now you know decided that they want to ask their local supermarket to do more and to help they're providing solutions for what can be done for more recycling to be happening within their town and you know with the support of the supermarket mm. so practical classroom examples but back to taboo like we've mm. we've we've had the first weekend of taboo yeah, true <laughs> and and there's been um a lot of work that's needed to have been done since mm. then so and even um i just wanted to connect back to the point that you made about like a lot of business people were saying bad business idea yeah but it's might be a bad business idea from a profits <laughs> from a profits side, but now let's talk through the things that like what next? I know that you had um, a lot of support because of that first leadership weekend. So mm. there were mentors who then came on board, but you still had a lot of persuasion to do to get this as something that was actually going to lift off the ground. Yeah. Well, I guess on the um, the business people questioning the structure was a critical thinking point. Yeah. We went, well, why does why do individuals have to profit from companies? 
and no one really answered. Oh, well, you know, it's just the way the world works. (laughs) Does it have to work like that? Couldn't this profit be better used? And the whole concept of a social enterprise of 100% model is the only difference compared to other companies is that no one will make a personal profit from the company. And there's definitely restrictions in that when we um, came about needing our startup capital, we couldn't offer people financial return for their investment. Mm -hmm. So that was quite um, a restriction for us in the early days. But then we went, well, why why do people need money back from something that's going to do good? So Mm -hmm. then we asked our community, we went, okay, we need $50,000 to start up this company to buy our first batch of product and we hosted a crowdfunding campaign. We had, I think, 174 or 374 people donate and we raised $56,000 in two months. Fantastic. (laughs) And we thought, all right, we're going to put the pressure on. We had a two-month deadline and if we didn't make our goal, which was $48,000 within the two months, Mm -hmm. we would have – everyone would have had their money returned to their accounts and we that would have been it. So we put the pressure on. But we knew that people would respond to the pressure and we had so much faith in our mission that we knew people would be passionate about it. We had a philanthropist uh, in Melbourne show some interest. We went there and um, gave him a presentation in a cafe and we didn't have enough numbers. He went, I don't know if that's going to work by your numbers. We had the concept but he just pretty much said, come back to me when you've run the ran the figures. Yeah. Yep. And then um, we, we hosted the, the crowdfunding campaign soon after that and we trusted that we would get the money. And another philanthropist um, in Melbourne reached out and went, all right, tell me what you've got organised. And we had a conversation with him over the phone. It was maybe four minutes long. Yeah. Then he emailed us later that day saying he would crowd, he would match dollar to dollar up to $20,000. Oh, for goodness sake. Wow. With another yep. anonymous contributor. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Did that first one come back to you? Uh, no, but mm. we are really thankful for his advice yeah. and I think yeah. it paid off when it came to the next guy mm. asking yes. us a few mm. questions. We knew what they needed to hear. Yeah. And So really knowing what the audience wants for yes. when you're persuading mm. is key. Yeah, yes. and knowing the right information as well, mm, we mm. needed to present the facts that were relevant to him. Yeah. Whereas we probably presented the facts that were relevant to us initially. Okay. Mm. Yep. Mm. Mm. That's a good distinction. Mm. A really good distinction. Mm. We're thinking about who are we persuading and why. And why. And the why for us was we wanted the money that he could contribute, mm. but we didn't put that in our presentation. We didn't really put the finances in yeah. um, to the extent that he needed if he, if that was the why. Yes, mm. yeah, yeah. Yes, clarity for any type of writing or presentation, yes. whether it's oral or in written. Um, yes, clear on, the, clear on the audience, clear on the why and, and sticking to that. Yeah. Not, yeah, not, you know, we can sometimes pad things out with a lot of other – Mm. bits and pieces but that aren't relevant yeah. yes so you've yeah. got your funding organized and yep. uh you got your fifty thousand or more yes and then what did you do after that 
Well, all of a sudden we had other people's money. <laughs> we freaked out of it. <laughs> um, but yes, it was at, at all of 18 years of age. We're going, <laughs> yeah. oh, right. oh, gosh, I've never seen these figures in line before. And then we decided, right, well, okay, people are committed, so are we. We then, um, that was when we travelled to Kenya and India, so we knew exactly what the issue we were tackling mm. were to be. Mm. And we also then spent that time finding um, – the right charity to partner with. We had our manufacturer lined up, which was one of the bigger hurdles. It's probably important to mention when we were finding a manufacturer initially, we spoke to a few in Australia and we were uh, not taken seriously by a couple. We had on the phone, sorry, sweetie, we can't help a couple times um, just because they were not convinced that we were um, actual business people. It was more like, oh, you're just some high school kids that are trying to, do a project or something Mm. a little insincere. So, yeah, that was difficult, but we didn't give up and it probably taught us to, um, well, not much else other than not give up and we just kept on. (laughs) I can see a key word in this persuasion, but is persistence. Mm, mm. Just persisting all the time, you know, have a knockback and just keep trying again. Yes. And I think along with that is feedback. That you mm. kept responding mm. to feedback, mm. and whether that was not that necess- wasn't necessarily f- feedback in that they were feeding back to you what they were thinking, but it was their response. Yeah. So the effectiveness of the persuasion was a good indicator as to mm, how do I adjust? How mm. do we? modify how do we refocus how do we so response from the audience and and you're talking about in this instance you're talking about hundreds of different audiences yes. over time yeah um so i res- think Wait, so, sorry go on i i think as well we always clung tight to our childlike mindset in that we never thought we were the experts because we never will be. There's always going to be someone on the planet that knows more than you do. Mm. And we were really true to that in when we were given feedback, we would take it seriously. We wouldn't pocket everything because some feedback isn't worthwhile, but Mm. we were quite discerning in that a lot of the feedback we would be given considering our lack of experience was worthwhile at least Mm. to listen to. Mm. So there was that constant uh, learning mindset in that the information we were provided throughout the whole process was of value to some extent Mm. rather than dismissing it and and perhaps running with your ego instead and saying, I know better. We were very lucky to have never really done that because it would have not worked to our favour at all. So you found a manufacturer... Yes. Uh, so we found a manufacturer and they took us seriously. Overseas man- manufacturer? Spain, yes. Spain. Yeah, so mm. they run off hydroelectricity. Their product is certified organic co- cotton and it's ethically sourced. The boxes are made from recycled cardboard. They tick all of the environmental boxes we were after and thankfully they were affordable as well. So that is where our product is made now. So how did you find them? A lot of Googling, a lot of research, um, a lot of phone calls. We had maybe a year and a half's worth of research into other manufacturers around the place. Yeah. Wow. And Mm. it all, all, each relationship started with the first question of, you know, do you have room for private label companies? And then you just 
go through the works and we finally found the right one. So we purchased our first batch of product in 2019 and it arrived in August 2019 and we launched our two products, our range. We had a big party. We had 400 people rock up and we celebrated the launch. A lot of the people were people who had contributed to the crowdfunding campaign Mm -hmm. two Mm. years prior and a lot of the people we didn't know as well, which was so encouraging to know that the message we had communicated was far beyond our personal lives or experiences or careers. It was Taboo as a company had its own story of its own and it had its own followers and friends that we didn't know about. Yeah, We had a team of eight on stage and a whole heap of other supporters in the room it was fantastic look what one look what two voices Mm. could do yeah Mm. and then I guess from there we uh, sold online we have a subscription model so people can pick pick which product they need every month and it just gets sent to the door quite automatically and then we had one IGA pull us into the their store right away they stocked our product for no margin for themselves. Wow. Ridiculous, wow. never happens. Wow. So, <laughs> so, and for those, um, so IGA is a supermarket, um, an independent grocers association. I think IGA stands for here in South Australia. So some yes. people might not know that that's a yeah. supermarket. Great, so. great business. Um, yeah. and, and doing something that they'd never done before. Mm. Is that right? Or well, have they done that for other... They are stocked any other products and not taken any. I don't think so. No, Uh, but the family who owns that store is very generous, and thankfully they were passionate about the the mission as much as we were, and just went here, have the space, we'll sell it for you. So, did that require persuasion or not so much? (laughs) (laughs) But we was um, a bit of a gift. Yeah, it was. It was a gift. It fell from the sky. The other retail opportunities we have definitely took some more persuasion. It was really powerful to walk into retail conversations three years after the brand was born. Mm. Even though the product had only been around for so long, people had already been persuaded about the necessity of our mission before we start the conversations if they had heard about our company. And it was quite powerful to let the mission speak for itself almost because we had communicated the reasons why it was important and the power our brand can have before we even had anything to give, before we had the physical solution of the brand or the products. Mm. So when we walked into meetings with other retailers who would be more traditionally difficult to land – the conversation was already half done in that they'd already been persuaded that it was a good thing to do. It was more of a conscious, um, sorry, a conscience decision in that Mm. they wanted a a good thing in their stores and they wanted to support something that had a power in this realm. So the conversation was really just, all right, we want it and this is why. And we'd done that communication through the emotive style of mission discussion and it was, okay, now how? And that was when the kind of business uh, persuasion kicked in. And it has been hard. We were not taken seriously quite significantly as young women. Mm. And we had some pretty disappointing comments thrown at us here and there. So you just 
we've found that we had the most impact persuading people by doing what we'd say we do because a lot of these people had the assumption that as young women we wouldn't follow through and this was just a side gig that our dad paid for. And so Mm. (laughs) when you um, prove to them that that's not the case just by rocking up to the next meeting and the meeting after that and the meeting after that with more knowledge and all the knowledge that you had in the first place, that was really the most effective method of persuasion for us is the assertiveness that we had a dedicated company and we were dedicated to our company and we weren't going to walk out the door just because we were a bit upset. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Surprise, yeah. surprise, it takes a lot to upset us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so that assertiveness is another strength, of course, of persuasion mm. is that we have to be confident in our own um, in our own mission, in our own message, mm. in our own um, – well, especially for the two of you, also in some ways educating others in because this was a a new model mm, of mm. working. And in I a think sense. it did take us a good few years to have the confidence to say, no, there's no reason why this won't work. Because we didn't really know at the start. It was a great idea and in theory it would work perfectly. And it does work perfectly. But to then say no to all of these very experienced, very respected people was difficult. You'd be like, no, my way works better than yours. <laughs> you know, who, who does that? Who are you? <laughs> this kid who had this idea. And so initially it is really scary. Just You're not really that certain. But it's definitely helped knowing um, I'm studying business alongside. Even just doing that is affirmation on myself when mm, I look yeah. through all the structures and all the nitty-gritty bits. You think, oh. Good. Like yes. we knew that it would, yeah. but it's 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 nice to know in a theor- theoretical context that it does work. So. <laughs> yes. So yeah. you've grown into a team of people, and you and some of those people talk in schools about this. Yeah, um, we do school presentations um, a few times a month, I'd say, and we have done for the whole uh, journey of our company, and it's very powerful talking to students. Firstly, because they are excited and they grip on to what we have to say quite quickly. They are a group of people who don't really know what periods are, so it's nice to have that third-party input into their experience as people. And they're also the group of people who can relate most to our mission as school kids, knowing that our profits are dedicated to schoolgirls who are experiencing period poverty they are very excited that um, they can be involved in something that's helping other girls go to school Mm. as an experience that they enjoy every day. Mm. Mm. So it's just such a strong mission that you've launched into. Your persuasion was required to really set up a whole new enterprise and now the work in schools is part of that but and getting products in mainstream market has been another avenue. And then, of course, persuasion in the form of advertising and, you know, that everyday kind of president, presence, oh, presidents, <laughs> uh, presence, so, so through your social media and um, your 
marketing campaigns, which are all these wonderful forms of advertising, of um, persuasion, persuasion that our students can also be engaged in. Mm. Um, so you've got your wonderful – talk us through a little bit. One of your um, marketing Campaign. campaigns yeah. is a lot of fun. Oh, it's so much fun. It can be kind of difficult. When we first launched, we thought, are we advertising as a charity or are we advertising as a premium quality product? Mm. They're very different. Yes. Mm. When yes. you advertise it as a charity, people assume that your product's really bad. Yeah. And yeah. so mm. that wasn't going to float in our market, so we needed yeah. to reverse it. Yeah. Um, but also our point of difference is that we have got a mission. Um, yes. So it is quite difficult but so much fun. It's a lot of assumptions you're trying to explode, aren't you? Like, yeah. Um, Left, right, and centre. Le- yeah, we are. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you, yeah, plenty. <laughs> but of course, the thing is that you are still wanting to make a difference to period poverty mm. by giving people by, something they would usually buy anyway. Exactly. Yeah. And that by choice, we can be investing in yes. a social mission that can make a difference mm. for so many. So just by an everyday act, we can make, through that choice, make that difference. It, it's for such a, a, such a large-scale problem, um, mm. you know, like to make a difference for those girls in Africa. Um, across the world. Across the world, isn't yeah. it, really? Like to, yeah. It's a big mission. It is. Well, it, it's really for half the population. <laughs> yeah, just, just the yeah, half the yeah, population. Yeah, just half the population. <laughs> just just the 50% population. of the, the globe. <laughs> but it's, it is baffling when you think about an experience that half the population have every month for 40-odd years of their life mm. is something that's so heavily swept under the carpet that it's stopping us from going to school. That mm. is bizarre. Mm. Yes. Mm. And there are... A, yeah, plenty of historical moments that's just why wow, that's happened and all the rest. But it's amazing now to hear that and feel the response that people have when we give them an option to talk mm. about it and an option to address the issue mm. because it's been such a stigmatised subject. Not many people have addressed the problem on such a, a large-scale way. And when we give people an option in terms of a consumer purchase, they love it because it doesn't it doesn't change their days. They just get to choose something else that has a greater impact. But as well, it's the social uh, purpose we have in our campaigns. So we've got one yes, recently. Talk to us a little bit about some of the techniques yeah. and um, um, persuasive devices, actually. Yeah. That you're using in these campaigns? Well, the the most recent campaign we launched was called Tag Your Taboo. And yes, love this. We, we were really wanting people to question why it's such a stigmatised subject. And we wanted our consumers and our customers and our followers to have the licence to talk about their experience as a menstruating person. So the call to action is to tag taboo sanitary products on their abdomen on a photo on Instagram. So if they're bleeding and they're going for a marathon swim, they can take a photo of after they've finished their swim. And 
it's up to them. They can just tag taboo on their body and leave it at that. Or they can say, hey, I was bleeding today and I still swam 40 kilometres and this is me when I finished because I used some tampons and they were great. Or um, you can have people that might experience endometriosis or something more complicated and that's a licence for them to open the conversation up about what their experience is like as a menstruating person and tag taboo. So it is kind of, it's a marketing campaign for us in that our name is spread across these conversations, but there aren't a lot of opportunities for people to tag along to a third party initiative to open up these conversations. And sometimes it does take a lot of courage that you do want that assistance by another company or person to have those conversations because traditionally it's been something quite uh, filled with shame and uncertainty that, that's why they're not a common su- subject. So a t- it's one of our favourites. A, a taboo topic. <laughs> it, a taboo yes. topic indeed. Yes. <laughs> um, and then just from the – because at the end of the day, more products that are sold, the more goes – the more that solves this issue. Yeah, yep. So as you said before, you know, do you market as a charity or do you market as a business? Mm. So – from the business side of things, what, what? So the, your other marketing campaign mm-hmm. has got you know a little bit more of a sales pitch to it. No. Um, yes. Now where have I asked the wrong question? <laughs> I think I'm. <laughs> we have many campaigns. Yes. I'm just trying to think. Um, but you know, you're you are also trying to get people buying, mm. not just. Um, like you really are coming from two sides, mm. from the reducing the stigma. Because the more they purchase, the more. But you're also wanting to, yeah. to sell. You know, you want. And the more we sell, people. you're exactly right. The more yeah. impact mm. we have. So we do dwell a lot on the quality of our product, and that's something that yeah. people want to know. It's quite yeah. a cutthroat market in that a lot of people will stick with the one brand that they have been on for the rest of their whole life. Yes. Yeah. And to communicate why they should change in such an intimate and sometimes daunting time of the month. Yes. Yeah. It's it's a lot, really. Yeah. We we yeah. are kind of asking a lot from people to go and change something that they've trusted every month for the however many last years. But that's when it we've been very much helped by our advertising agency. Yes. We've yep. got this kind of archetype that we rely on in that we need to communicate the reliability of our product as well as the social aspects of our brand. And thankfully the cause and the product aren't too far. Um, they're, they're not too dissimilar in that we can yeah. quite easily say when you use our you know, reliable product this month, yes. you're providing some safety net for another yeah. person yeah. in this context. Yeah. So how do you decide, you know, with your funds that do you get received from the sales and whatever, how do you decide where that, where you direct it? You know, what's the yeah. priority there? It's um, firstly our priority for as a company in such a market to be sustainable. So unfortunately there's not been a profit so far that we can contribute to our charity partner. All of the revenue that we've produced is going back into keeping the company sustainable, which is making um, sure we've got enough stock for the growth opportunities ahead Mm. of us. Mm. We've got the most fantastic 
outreach design um, pro- design. We've got the most fantastic program in Australia where people can purchase our pads for women in Australia who are experiencing period poverty. Mm. So it's great in that they're buying our product. We are making the money from the sale. And that physical box of pads is distributed to one of our 12 charity partners in Australia. So we are partnered with Vinnie's Crisis Centre who work with women who are fleeing domestic violence. NPY, NPY Women's Council work in um, rural Australia. Red Lily Health up north in Arnhem Land. Teachers, nurses, uh, childcare centre workers, they've all asked for for product because yeah. their community relies on them to supply it. And that's a program that we're very much proud of in that we can still have a really practical uh, output of social good before we've even made a profit. So as you grow, you'll because there'll be huge needs in Australia mm. to still cover, isn't it? That mm. we'll, you'll be covering the, trying to cover those needs overseas as well. Yeah, so we um, before we make a profit in particular, we've hosted separate kind of fundraising campaigns for mm-hmm. our charity partner One Girl. So they work in they're a Melbourne company. They work in Sierra Leone and Uganda, and we've hosted fundraising campaigns here separate to the business um, operating finances so that we can still contribute to their work but we don't consider that a business donation that's just something that we'd like to do aside kind of drawing on the community we've built to celebrate the work that one girl do before we um, are in a position to help them consistently because that's one thing we want to be is quite consistent in our support so Mm. we're not going to shoot ourselves in the foot by gifting a significant amount of money and then having to start from scratch and be an unreliable pro, pro, um, product in Australia and then that leaves one girl mm. drive. We want to be quite consistent in our yeah. in our contribution. Yeah. So we've, I guess we've learnt a lot about persuasion today, Sharon. So uh, much about persuasion. And that there are so many elements to it. Uh, persistence, passion, all sorts Critical of things. Thinking. Critical thinking. Um, Response. Knowing your Audit. data. Mm. Yes. <laughs> have, you, have your sums worked out? Yeah. <laughs> be good at maths. <laughs> good at maths. Um, it's got to be, you know, it's meaningful. Something that you really, mm. and something yes. you want to change. Yeah. yeah. And And we're not, of course, we're not suggesting that anyone is, doing something quite as big no, <laughs> no. Um, as Eloise and Izzy are doing. It was about teasing out uh, the elements of it and then how can we use some of those in our Yes, I hope teaching. that, yes, you know, as teachers we can really, I know there's just been so many connections made there for, you know, what it is, you know, how do we drive that idea of the art of persuasion mm. rather than I'm, Okay, we need to do a piece of persuasive writing. What do we need to do? Well, Mm. I think, you know, the world, all of us, you know, in thinking about the the what, persuading for change and persuading for good are things that we want to use Mm. persuasion for. And Sharon, if I just step in there and say we can start with um, receptions, year ones, with persuading, um, what what form could that take? So for our young ones, we can certainly be just getting them thinking about what their opinion 
is even about lots of things. So if if I was thinking about what they might um, persuade, there's I'll give an example from um, a year one class. Last year, Sarah and her year ones, um, they each of the year ones, they, they were doing a whole lot of um, reading and there are a lot of picture books we'll um, post in the show notes. Some of the picture books that um, have just got such persuasive elements to them. Uh, I want an iguana. Um, <laughs> where's my little list on the Who Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus? The whole pigeon series, of course, is all persuasive. Can I Be Your Dog? Um, hey, Little Ant, I Want a New Room. All of these for our younger readers um, or our younger students and our younger writers are all really great examples of how persuasion can be in the form of a story, can be in the form of poetry. Poetry mm. is hugely, it's wonderful persuasive a film. Um, platform. Could be in the form of a film. But Sarah's class um, had read a whole lot of books about different animals and then wrote their own brochures to convince their parents why they wanted a particular animal as a pet. Mm. So, wonderful. Sarah said best writing that she'd had from that group of students all year. Like there was such purpose behind it, even though it was about them. But we're talking we're talking five and six-year-olds here writing their little pieces about and not only what they wanted as a pet, but as a family, why would this make a great family pet? Mm. So, um, so there was an example of not just a, um, not the five paragraph argument essay that we can sometimes fall into. And in fact, I love that Akara talks about that that's a form or a structure that we might begin with, but. Definitely not to stick with that, not to say this is the persuasive writing that I do. We want to, just like Eloise has um, talked about today, persuasion, so much of it is presentation, Mm. so it's oral. So much of it can be through marketing kinds of strategies, so marketing techniques, um, uh, marketing campaigns, I love one school talked about um, for their year fives, they have what they call a sell it to me (laughs) campaign, you know, have that as their persuasive writing. But back to the young ones, what if I'm writing I like but I don't like books? Mm. So I can Mm. present a whole lot of things that I like but I don't like so that I'm giving opinions on things. I'm just starting to explore that critical thinking and that feeling about things. I like this, but I don't like that. Um, Talking about my favourite book character or my favourite book or my favourite part of a story are all ways of giving an opinion and persuading. Why should a character do this? Why should a character not do this? So linking to text is a great way for our young ones Mm. to really build um, from that. Um, my favourite animal. Um, so often it's in the, I like to think that the early persuasive work is often in the form of like a mini book. 
so that it's not just a one idea, but I can give a whole lot of ideas about something, but not necessarily in that um, five-paragraph format. Mm. Starting with a read aloud, it can be talked about, but then it can be in a book form. But yes, and also coming from, because it's meaningful. Yes. Whatever is meaningful, you know, that's what we, I think that's a big takeout from here is, you know, it's got to be meaningful because yep. otherwise, yep. why am I in the business of persuading? Mm. Yep. Thank you. Um, wonderful, wonderful discussion today. Oh, thank you, Eloise. Eloise. Mm. Yes, thank you so much for bringing all of that um, that insight into what is. Like, there's been a lot of elements of persuasion in it. I love. <laughs> From all the podcasts you have been doing, you said never been asked to do that one no. before. Get onto an education podcast. <laughs> it's probably something that Mum and Dad trained me from a young age. Me <laughs> trying to persuade my way through life. <laughs> it's not anything conscious. No, and I think you're absolutely right. In our pre-podcast chat, where we were talking too about how that's it's what we do. We we question. Mm. We and. Students actually, I think you said in the podcast, you know, they ask why. Why are things as they are? So love that you have opened the doors on saying why are some things the way they are? Mm. What is the reality for half of our population that isn't discussed? Mm. Where there's a stigma Mm. about that? That that a young voice and two young voices mm. can decide on something big outside of themselves for the better mm. of or the betterment of not just half the population. But everyone. But everyone because you, you know, that came up early. This isn't just about what this means for women. This is what does this mean for everybody yeah. in yep. in how um, we understand and how we think about this as what is that monthly experience for women and how, you know, that that's life, you know, mm-hmm. that how that fits into our whole perception of how the world works and what that you know what we can do to make that make that better and make that more visible and make that a conversation on the table rather yeah. than something that's so so you've just taken on the world really yes <laughs> just the world well nothing we, big I think no, next, nothing big next will be the universe but yeah. anyway it's already the universe Shall so we, we are so privileged that you have shared not only vision and mission behind the scenes stories about how these things have come about but made not only that topic but the art of persuasion accessible um, in a real-life way to us as teachers. So thank you so much. And now some uh, rapid-fire questions for you. Oh, yes. Um, What was your favourite book as a child and Oh, I think it was maybe Winnie the Pooh. And why was that? I think I just loved the characters. Yeah. Tigger probably yeah. most. Yeah, beautiful. Tigger the most. Yeah, I think so. Beautiful story yeah. too. What's your and most illustrations? Oh, yes. Illustrations are yeah. wonderful. Yeah, they're gorgeous. 
What's your most interesting school story? It could be when you were at school. It could be talking to schools or it could be – we come back to that one? Yeah, to be honest, I don't know if it no, was that interesting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, that crunchy or smooth peanut butter story. Yeah, it really stuck with me. <laughs> it's been, I think it's been more interesting for you after school. Yeah, look, um, maybe that's why it's all blurred. I forgot yeah, about yeah. what life was like. Yes, <laughs> you've just forgotten. How do you think you learned to read? My mum is a librarian, so mm. she was hot on me reading from probably when I was born. <laughs> as soon as you came yeah, out? Yeah, as soon as I came out, there was a book in front of my face. I think well, I, I knew I could learn and I could read in kindy. Mum was trying to – mum was – Loved the fact that I could read in kindy. So mm. then I think because she was always telling me that I could read early, I was mm. really proud that I could read mm. early. So I just kept on reading and reading. And then I think when I got to, oh, I don't know, early teens, I for some reason decided that it wasn't worth my time and I just stopped reading. And then only recently in the last few years, mum gave me a really good fiction book and I was ripped and I haven't been able to put a book down oh, since. I love it again. Yeah. Oh, that's a good story. Yeah, I think, think as well because mum was a librarian, there were just piles of books everywhere. And just yes. like, oh, mm. gosh. Yes. Like, it probably took it for granted a bit. Yes. But there was a phase yes, yeah. where you just, you just didn't want to read. Just Yeah, just I think it was probably when, when high school yeah. got a yeah. little more um, – yeah, busy, purposeful. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then reading textbooks was probably my replacement. Yeah, yes. yep. yeah. Well, um, I might just say uh, best question to ask students. <laughs> no, Student- well, we always start our school presentations off with "Who's heard of a period?" Right, mm. and uh, we like to start it off on that note. Otherwise, you get lots of giggles and lots of every time you say the word period. So we say it about twenty times at the start. <laughs> And we ask them a series of questions. Who's heard of the word? Who knows what it is? Who's had one before? Who lives in a house where people have periods? Mm. And we just go throughout through the kind of questions. And we get to a point where um, we ask them if they've ever missed a day of school from their period. And a few girls keep their hands up. And then um, that's when we kind of relay what life's like when you aren't in a position to go to school when you're bleeding, yeah. Mm. So mm. You're, you use questions to really connect. Yeah, we do, yeah. we do. And especially because we talk about the life of a um, schoolgirl when she might not be able to go to school when she's got a period and then we're talking to kids the same age, it's quite effective to use the que- use questions as a way of communicating. Yes. Mm. Nice strategy, mm. very nice strategy. And you've recently, you talked, to education systems about what you're doing, do you ask them questions? They ask you lots of questions, yeah. I'm sure. But do you ask them anything? Or? Well, um, yeah, we've had some conversations with people in education management about um, providing sanit- or menstrual wellbeing programs is what we like to call it because it's more than just providing product but it's providing the right education, yeah. the right toilet facilities, the school uniform policies, quite a – substantial amount of things to think about when it comes to menstrual well-being for students and to be honest at this stage there's a lot of ignorance in design of these kind of programs so a lot of the time we've spent is trying to get these points kind of drilled home and that education needs to be a priority when you're addressing menstrual problems in schools. Uh, There's definitely 
a lot of questions to us about those intricate details and how we think it should be addressed. And our questions mostly revolve around what are you doing and where are the gaps? Mm. Mm. It's great that as a young person you've come out, recently come out of the system and you're looking back into it saying, you know, some things aren't addressing these kids' needs, you mm, know, mm. Um, whereas the system thinks they are. I think there can be a really big disconnect between what kids are thinking and doing and then who makes the rules and that's happen- that happens in every industry, mm. your clients and your leaders. But when I think there's a new age of students growing up very quickly and menstruation is one thing and then there's um, – other issues that need to be addressed early on, like sex education, that needs to be yep. perhaps earlier in an age-appropriate way. There's a lot of things that are changing quite quickly that that we've not really caught up on in terms of policy and advice. And these kids are, unfortunately, in the blue. They, they, they are the ones that are suffering the consequences of not having that education early. And they don't have the voice that they would like to have? Is that, yeah. Is and that the problem? Thankfully in South Australia, the Commissioner for Children and Young People, Helen Connolly, has done some very thorough research and most of that has been in conversation with kids about what menstrual wellbeing should look like in their schools Mm. and the results are so thorough. These kids know exactly what they need and Mm. it's great now that this report exists to communicate what kids are saying. And I'm sure that comes into other issues that kids should be involved in the conversation because if we're, you know, leading for the children, maybe they should be the ones that have an input in the policies we have. Yes. Best best tip or tips for students to succeed in what they're wanting to do? Choose the subjects and co-curriculars that you love. School, for me, when I look back, more, more of my memories are with things outside of school but thanks to the structure of friends and teachers and safety nets I was given in my classes but I also chose subjects that I loved and that paid off for me I did drama I did music um yeah yes built on foundations of passion really yeah 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 so you've lived that that's how your life has been lived Hmm. and here it is and I think you know just from that Lovely way that you described before, you know, that you feel that you have been filled. Mm. You know, that mm. there was so much from, um, you know, those years of feeling almost complete, you know, that, and that's a very safe and wonderful feeling that you've had that you are now really giving, you're really looking mm. to have that for so many others half, in the world. Half the world. Half the world. Half the world. <laughs> um, I think, though, it comes from, like, even though I might not feel completely whole as a person, there's to- that means there's room for other people to fill that space. And, yes. and uh, I think there's more value in engaging in other people's experiences than there is just to fill your yeah. own you know, yeah. patches and and whatnot <laughs> in life, you're never going to feel like you're the best version of yourself. But I don't think that often comes from with from personal focus. If you're focused on other people, often 
you will become the better version of yourself. So I think that's where it's more rewarding. Attraction. And it's been really rewarding oh, for us today. To on have so Eloise many here. levels, so hasn't we'll, it been? Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Eloise. And, Thanks for uh, having me. It was lovely. It was great. Oh, and um, I liked the topic. We might, Good. yes, and you, for you might persuade us to have you again. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, you might persuade me to have yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, just actually, yeah. before we finish off, that um, taboo t a b double o. Yes, website. Website. Go and if if you know this is something that speaks to you beyond the art of persuasion, <laughs> you know that, um, and the idea of social enterprise is something. That, I love that, that idea. In, mm. That and interests I, you and education in schools, you know, because Eloise isn't sitting here just as the art of persuasion, the, the work you're doing in education in schools mm. as well as outside of that is mm. a big piece for all of us. So, mm. And thank you very much, everyone. And knowing that we've got a worldwide audience too, so um, all listeners out there, think about Taboo, all right? Yes. Thank you. Fantastic. If you Google Taboo Sanitary Products, you'll find us. There's like a board game and a a TV series, so Taboo Sanitary Products. Okay. (laughs) Right. Fair call. Yeah. All right. Thanks. And it's a word. Thanks, everyone, and bye for now. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss any literacy learning tips and insights, please subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player. At Q Learning, our literacy specialists draw on over 30 years of teaching and international consulting experience to deliver world-class learning solutions. We equip, empower and support teachers to become their authentic selves. To find out about upcoming webinars and about how Q can help you and your school, visit qlearning.com.au. And you can get even more amazing teaching resources right now at teachific.com.au. Stay tuned.